Jehoram sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods, then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people, bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road. Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Makur, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought, then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, they took those spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse, horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Merah, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among the women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She, she stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. And where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not defining and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera, a plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. 
Well, as Reformed folk, when we talk about worship, we refer to worship not just as the singing, but we refer to the whole service with the preaching as the main thing. But that doesn't mean that we're against singing. That doesn't mean singing is not important. After all, if the people don't sing to the Lord, have they really considered the so great salvation that God has brought for his people? If they haven't considered who Yahweh is and the salvation he brings, why is a new song not upon our lips? Because one way of blessing and praising the Lord for this so great salvation that he has brought is by way of singing. As we sing, we bless God. As we sing, we praise God. But as we sing, we also remind ourselves of all that Yahweh has done for us. And Israel needed that reminder. Israel needed to be reminded of who Yahweh is and what Yahweh has done for them. They need to be reminded that it is Yahweh, not Baal, who should be praised and honored by the people of Israel. Because as we come to the book of Judges, we're still based upon that foundation, based upon that Mosaic covenant that God made with Israel. God uh, made that covenant with Israel, a uh, covenant of works concerning life in the land. And the, uh, at the end of Joshua, we see this idea of trying to retain the land, this retaining the land by way of covenant keeping. Things start off well, but in Judges, things do not go so well. We see that the people have turned to the Baals and the Asherahs. The people are worshiping like the nations around them, rather than in a way that Yahweh had determined according to that book of Deuteronomy. And so the main idea of this book is the degeneration, the Canaanization of Israel as they become more and more like the Canaanite nations around them. But then that also in juxtaposition, in contrast with that, we see Yahweh's great salvation. Here is a wicked people. Here is a vile people. Here is an idolatrous people. Here is an unrepentant people. And yet Yahweh is still pleased to bring salvation and raise up deliverers to deliver uh, his people from oppression. And so we do come to the main, we're in the main body of the book, which goes from chapter 3 to chapter 16, and we're in the section concerning Deborah, this surprising voice, this one who is the prophetess. Remember last time we pointed out that Deborah is not the judge, Barak is the judge, and I think what we see tonight also uh, defends that as well. We see she is this unexpected voice, this woman who speaks, this woman who is a prophet, this woman who is doing what the men should have been doing, this woman who's doing what the priest should have been doing. And so Yahweh uses her. She calls Barak. She calls Barak the deliverer to deliver the people, which uh, Barak does, but, he do, but uh, unexpectedly he does not receive the glory. Sisera and Jabin are given into the hands of Barak, but it comes by way of Jael, this one who is a Kenite, this one who is not an Israelite, this unexpected savior by way of Jael and her tenpe. And so then we come after this great deliverance, after we've, after we've seen Yahweh's great salvation, we now come to the song of Deborah. We come to the explanation. We come to the singing of this so great salvation, this new song of salvation, uh, in chapter 5, singing to the Lord God Most High and recounting all that he has done. We get this cosmic reminder, this explanation, this theological explanation of all that took place in chapter 4. Because the problem is, when the people of God don't sing, they do not remember the Lord. A people who don't think they have anything to praise God for won't sing to the Lord. 
Are people who have forgotten God won't worship him, but find something else to worship and someone else to sing to instead. So there's a reason this song is so important in Israel's history. There's a reason the people of Israel need to be reminded of who Yahweh is and need to be called to praise God most high. And so in Judges 5, Deborah sings a new song of Yahweh's deliverance that Israel needs to hear. Israel needs to be reminded that they need to worship Yahweh and not Baal. They need to be reminded of the song that they need to sing. And so we'll look at this song of Deborah under three headings this evening. First of all, we'll see a song of Yahweh's coming, verses 1 through 11c. Secondly, we'll see a song of Yahweh's people, 11d to 23. Then lastly, we'll see a song of Yahweh's salvation, verses 24 through 31. So a song of Yahweh's coming, a song of Yahweh's people, and then a song of Yahweh's salvation. So let's first look at a song of Yahweh's coming in verses 1 through 11c. And notice we see the Lord's coming in verses 1 through 5. And in verses 1 through 3, we see a song that proclaims. Now again, the context is important. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after the death of Ehud. Remember, there is that cycle. It's sawed. There is sin, oppression, and deliverance. And so the people engage in wickedness after Yahweh was good, after Ehud, that wonderful uh, um, deliverer, that wonderful judge died, and then the people did evil, and so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. And then he was harsh, and his commander was harsh as well. Sisera is harsh, and they were under oppression for 20 years, which then leads to deliverance by way of Barak and by way of Jael. And so now we have that theological explanation. And so in verse 1, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, There is deliverance, here is salvation, here is now a great song of victory that they need to sing. A song that would help Israel remember of all that Yahweh has done. We've seen songs already. We saw the song of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. So that the people of Israel would remember who Yahweh is and what he has done. Now we have another song as well to remind the people of Israel of who Yahweh is and what he has done. So she starts singing this song, verse 2. When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. There's a rarity amongst the people of Israel. When there are good leaders, leaders who are willing to die, leaders who are willing to, uh, uh, to lead, leaders who are willing to follow the things of the Lord, and a people who willingly offer themselves for battle, but also in the service of the Lord as well. It is a rare thing, and so it is a call for Israel. Israel needs to hear this. Israel needs to be reminded of the importance of leadership and the importance of worshiping Yahweh solely alone. And so when that happens, it's a time for blessing. Deborah and Barak, they did lead well. And as they did lead, it shows that salvation belongs to the Lord who does make his people willing in the day of his power. So the people need to bless the Lord. Israel needs to praise God most high because they were not doing that during the time of the judges. But also, the enemies of God's people need to know who God is. Verse 3. Hear, O kings. So verse 2, speaking to Israel. Verse 3, speaking to the enemies of God. 
Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, Deborah, the prophetess of the Lord, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise the Lord God of Israel. Jabin, Eglon, Cushon, Rishathayim were instruments in the hands of an angry God. God used them to bring judgment or to bring punishment against the people of Israel. But God does not let them uh, live a long life in their tyranny. God will not let them go. God does and will punish them. And the enemies of Israel need to be reminded of that as well. He is the God we sing to. We don't worship Baal. We don't worship Asherah. We worship Yahweh is the song that Deborah is going to sing. Again, this is all about Yahweh. There's a lot of difficult things about this this song, but there's certainly some contrasts between what Yahweh does and then uh, the, the, the circumstance of the people. We see another contrast between the people in verses 13 through 18, the, the willing ones versus the hesitant. Then we see the contrast of the ladies in verses 24 uh, through 30. Uh, but the point is, it's all about Yahweh. It's all about what he does. It's all about the salvation that he brings. Israel needs to know, and the nations need to know as well. The song is one that blesses Yahweh. It reminds Israel, but it proclaims to the nations who Yahweh is. And so then we see this song about his coming. It's a song that proclaims, Hear leaders, hear O kings, here is God, verses 4 and 5. And notice we see the Lord who marched for Israel. He is the Lord who fights for Israel. And he is the Lord who fought for Israel at Sinai. And just as he walked with them in the wilderness and protected them, so too is he the one who came and delivered them from the hands of Jabin. It's a reminder that he is the same God, the same God who is omnipotent, the same God who marches. And we see kind of this imagery of marching. As he comes through the heavens, as he puts his feet down on the earth. Not that God literally does that, but it paints a picture of his marching through the world. The the, the clouds pour forth. The earth trembles as he stomps his way, as he marches into battle for the people. The, The mountains gush before the Lord, this Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. He was with them at Seir. He walked with them as they marched through Seir in the wilderness, Deuteronomy chapter 2. He appeared to them at Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. And we see the terror of his march. Here is Yahweh. Here is the Holy One of Israel. Here is the one who is to be feared. And here is the warrior of Israel as well who will fight for them. So just as he delivered them out of the ex- out of the Egypt, as we see in the book of Exodus, just as he poured the Red Sea upon the, on, on, the, on Pharaoh, just as he appeared to them at Sinai, just as he walked with them in the wilderness, so too as he fought for them here. He is the same God. He is the same God that Israel can take refuge and ought to take refuge and comfort in. He is the one who fought for Israel at Megiddo Kishon uh, when Jabin and Sisera were doing their nasty work. God is mightier. God is the one who fights for his people. And it is a song about his coming. And his coming at this point is a blessing for the people, but also a terrifying thing for the enemies of God. So we have a mighty God that we see in verses 4 and 5. But then we see the people's problem in verses 6 through 11. We see how the people are quite destitute. The people are quite defenseless. 
the people have no resources for weapons. That's how bad it has been under Jabin and Sisera. Notice verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael. The reason Shamgar and Jael are mentioned is because both of them are likely Canaanites. And remember we saw that guy Shamgar who killed, you know, 600 people with an ox goad. And again, we talk about the mystery of Yahweh's salvation. But one thing that Deuteronomy Judges 5 teaches us is that there was no leader in Israel. That's how bad it was. That's how awful it was in the days of Shamgar. There was no one to lead them. And so God had to use Canaanites. Now, thankfully, God uses Deborah. God uses Barak. And then God uses Jael as well. But things are not good. The highways are deserted. The people cannot walk on the main highways. They, they, the travelers walk along the byways. They're concerned about bandits. They're concerned about enemies. It is not safe to walk in their own country. It's not safe to walk in their own hometown. That's a sign things are not good. That's a sign things that are not well in the land when you cannot even walk down the street uh, without, without fear. And so they are fearful. There is no safety for them. They have this paralyzing fear of what may happen. And the village life ceased. There's a paralyzing fear among the people. That they, so it could be carried the idea of holding back. The, the Israel held back at this time. That is, they did not, uh, uh, they, they were fearful of what might occur if they did anything, if they walked by the byways, if they did engage in any sort of village life, they would be oppressed and further hurt by Jabin and Sisera. So things are not good. They are defenseless people. They are people who have great need. And thankfully, there is a dependable God who raises up deliverers. And so we see this. There's issues in Israel until, verse 7, I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Notice she doesn't say judge. She arose as a mother in Israel. She arose as one who cares for the people of Israel. She functions as the prophetess. And this will be in contrast with Sisera's mother. Here is a mother in Israel who speaks on behalf of the Lord. Here is a mother in Israel who speaks the words of God and the words of God come true. This is in contrast with Sisera, who is deluded, who has delusion, who thinks everything's going to be fine, but in reality has no idea what has happened to her son. So we have a good mother in Israel, but we have a wicked mother and the poor mommy in verses 28 through 30. But Deborah arises. She arises as a mother in Israel. She arises at the, as a prophetess. And then in verse 8, I think the translation's wrong. It says they chose new gods. It should say God chose new leaders is what it should say, I think. That is, when there's a problem, when there's an issue, Deborah arises and God chooses leaders through her. Here is the plight. Here is the issue. They need a deliverer. And here is Deborah, the mouthpiece of God, who does what in Judges 4? She calls Barak. She says to Barak, here's what you must do. Here is your task. And Barak will not go unless God goes with her. I do believe when Barak says, uh, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He is saying, I want God to go with me. I do not think it is a lack of faith, but 
But I actually, I think, others don't, I do think it is a confession of faith. Because Barak is the judge. Barak is the deliverer who has been raised up. And Barak is, in Hebrews chapter 11, alongside other judges, as a man who looked to the Lord Jesus Christ and engaged in this task by faith. And so, leaders arise, then there's war at the gates. Here is the man who's ready to go to fight for the people, a man who is ready to go and deliver the people out of their misery, whom Yahweh has raised up. But there's still a problem. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. That is, the people were desperate. The people had nothing. Things were so bad, it shows the suppression of resources that any good government that wants to suppress and oppress their people, they take away their weapons. And that's what happens here. The weapons are taken away, but also they probably, because things were so bad, didn't have any money for weapons. It was just primarily about their life and their, their daily living, the bread that they needed. That was what it was for. So Israel is not a formidable opponent. They don't really have any sort of weapons to engage in some sort of insurrection. So who is going to deliver them? It has to be Yahweh. And Yahweh will do it. David says, desperate people and a sufficient God are placed side by side that the former might rest in the latter. The apostle makes the same point in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. That's when Paul says, I was greatly burdened and greatly distressed to the point of death so that God might teach us something. And then uh, Davis goes on to say, Surely God's afflicted people should derive great comfort from knowing that God who came to Sinai or Golgotha is the God who comes repeatedly to his people in distress. Omnipotence delights in Encore. So God shows his great salvation. The people have no spears, but God is with them. And the people are willing. Verse 9, my heart, Deborah, my heart goes out to you. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who lead, who offer themselves willingly with the people. Not just the people offering themselves up, but the leaders. Barak offers himself up. Barak is willing to go. The people are willing to fight. And that should be a great time of blessing for the people. The response to the Lord raising up a judge is praise and blessing and willingly going with God and going with the people in order to bring deliverance, uh, which Yahweh does through them. So it's an encouragement, ought to be an encouragement for Israel, but a reminder of who they need to look to. But then in verses 10 and 11, once again, we see Deborah speaking or Yahweh speaking Uh, to perhaps the pagans, the safety of the Canaanites, the merchants who plied their trade. There's destitution in Israel, but the, the merchants in Canaan are fine. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit in judges' attire, who walk along the road, they're fine. They have no fear. From Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, things are fine and dandy for the Canaanites, but there's going to be a reversal. Their place of safety is going to be the place of vindication for the people of Israel. We see that there. For there they shall recount the vindication, the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. That is what uh, Deborah is communicating. Again, uh, she's communicating, Yahweh is communicating to Israel, worship Yahweh. 
And she's also communicating to the nations, fear Yahweh, for he is a mighty God. You think things are fine now, you can walk fine, but the people of God who have nothing shall be vindicated in those very places. The goodness of God shall be recounted in those very places where those Canaanites, those merchants, plied their trade without fear. And I think one thing we can take away from this first point is the importance of the God we worship. The beautiful thing is knowing that Yahweh has come in Christ Jesus, and when we gather on Sunday, Yahweh does come. Yahweh speaks to us, Yahweh is with us, and we must be reminded of the omnipotent God that we worship is the one who is worthy of our praise. When we don't sing, or we don't worship Him aright, it probably says something about our view of God. If we don't prioritize the things of God like we should, we don't prioritize the worship of God as we ought, it probably says something about what we think of God. And like Israel, God's people need to be reminded about who Yahweh is and what he has done. Need to be reminded about the place where Yahweh speaks. There's probably an allusion, primarily back to Exodus 19, but certainly Judges 5 alludes to Exodus 19. There is an allusion in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Remember the Hebrews were thinking about going back to Sinai. And the writer reminds them in verse 22 and following. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company. We don't need to go to Sinai. We are of the new covenant. We now come to new covenant worship. Then verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Listen to what Yahweh has said. Hear him. He is the one who thunders. And he thunders in the place of worship. He thunders through his preachers. He speaks to his people. And the people of God need to listen. And the people of God need to worship. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth... How much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? When we come and gather on Sunday, we come to heaven. Yahweh speaks to us, whose voice then shook the earth at Sinai, but now he has promised, saying, it's once more, this is from Haggai, or Haggai 2 verse 6, I shake not only earth, but also heaven. Again, contrasting the old with the new. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a all-consuming fire. I listened to a sermon recently that talked about Earth-shattering worship. Heaven-shattering worship. You know when that happens? On church when we gather according to God's word. Now if you ask a Pentecostal, they wouldn't say that our worship is heaven-shattering. But when you consider what God's word says and consider what is pleasing to Yahweh, consider that he speaks to us, we must recognize the place where that happens. And the beautiful thing is the same God who shook the earth at Sinai who shook the earth at Calvary, is the one who shakes heaven with his voice in Zion, is the one who speaks to us when we gather, 
is the one who speaks to us in his church, and thankfully his church cannot be shaken. Brethren, we ought to have a high view of God, a high view of his salvation, and a high view of the place where he speaks to us. Israel had a low view. Church throughout the ages and in modern times have had a low view. We perhaps in our past have had a low view. Let us not have a low view. Let us have a high view of earth-shattering, earth-shaking, heaven-shaking worship before God Most High. Because he comes not to be worshipped. So that's a song of Yahweh's coming. Let's then look secondly at a song of Yahweh's people. That begins at 11D. So this is where we see the people who sing, or at least the people who should sing. And we see the call of the Lord for a deliverer. Verses 11D and 12. So there's an issue, there's a problem, there's a plight. Now the Lord raises up leaders, then the people gather. The Lord shall go down, the people gather at the gates. And then the leaders are awoken. Awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. The reason she talks about singing a song here is because her task with engaging in the judgment, that is what to do about our situation under Jabin the king, well, uh, tells us that we, our turning point is when she raises up the judge, or God raised up the judge, namely Barak. And we see that. Arise. You know what word is used when God says God raised up Othniel and God raised up Ehud? Same word. Arise. Arise. The Lord raised up Ehud. The Lord raised up Othniel. And the Lord arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Again, as we pointed out, Barak is the judge according to the terms of Judges 2. He is the one who was raised up to deliver the people. Deborah certainly judged in her capacity as the prophetess and judged in the things of the Lord. But as far as who is the judge in Judges 4 and 5, it is Barak who does it. It is Barak who leads. It is Barak who delivers. And lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. So leaders are raised up. The prophetess, Lord speaks to, uh, to Barak. The Lord speaks by way of Deborah. And Barak is raised up. And then we see the people who will go. And notice we see volunteers, resistors, and the award winners, according to Daniel Block. We see the, resist, we see the, the volunteers, verses 13 and through 15. The survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. So the Lord fights with them, but the Lord fights uh, through means. And as we'll see, not all of Israel is willing to come to the north for a battle. That's what the battle is in the north. Not everybody's going to go. Remember one problem throughout this book as the book unfolds is the people become more and more less united. Become less and less united. More and more less united. That's a weird way of saying it. Less and less united uh, as things unfold. And we see that here. Some are willing. And certainly it's those who are close to where the battle is. Uh, some of them who are close to the battle won't fight, but mainly those who are close to the battle. Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, they came to fight. So Ephraim, Benjamin, from Makur, rulers came down. That's part of Joseph. From Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah as Issachar, so was Barak, sent in the valley under his command. 
And so I don't know all the nitty gritties of what's going on here, but the point is, there is a people who volunteers. They're willing to fight. They're willing to go to battle. They're willing to go as the Lord leads. But then there are also those who are resistors or complacent. And these are the people who are far away. And we see this with Reuben. He deliberated. He really wanted to go. I I really want to help, but I got to tend to my sheep. My sheep are in need. They're going to baa. They're going to make their sounds. They need to be sheared. My sheep are more important than your lives, is basically what they're saying. Uh, Among the divisions of Reuben, they were great resolves of heart. Yes, we can do it. But then, you know, they... They never show up. It's like those people say the church is the best church I've been to, but never come back. Great resolve, but they never show their faithfulness. Gilead stayed behind the Jordan. Or sorry, why do you sit among the sheepfolds? Verse 16, to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. So that's probably what that means. Is there, oh, I want to come, but oh, I got to tend to my sheep. Then we have Gilead. So perhaps Gad or East Manasseh, oh, the Jordan. Oh, it's too big. It's just too hard for us to try and cross that giant river. You're going to have to be on your own. Things are too difficult. Bunch of whiners and complainers. And then we see um, Dan and Asher. Oh, I got my investments I have to take care of. I'm doing maritime trade. Again, and perhaps especially Asher. Asher was right there. So why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued the seashore and stayed by his inlets. They did not count the cost. But there are some good ones. There are some award winners. Zebulon and Naphtali were willing to die. They're willing to die for their people. And certainly we see that Barak comes from Naphtali. He's of the tribe of Naphtali. Zebulon is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. So these are the people who are supposed to sing. These are the people who are supposed to fight. Some of them do, some of them don't, but Yahweh still brings that salvation despite the disunity amongst the people. So the reward winners are Zebulun and Naphtali. But then we see in verses 19 through 23, or sorry, 20 through 20, yeah, 19 through 23, enemies who are silent. And we see the cosmic end of Yahweh's enemies. Again, there's a back and forth. There's Israel, the enemies who are being referred to. So now the enemies are being referred to. The kings came and they fought. Listen, O kings, to who God is. And they know experientially the terror of the Lord. The kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh. That's how you say that in Hebrew. Tanakh versus Tanakh, but whatever. By the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. The battle is near me, Megiddo. May Megiddo, if you will. Uh, near Mount Tabor, the water, Wadi Kishon, the waters of Megiddo are all near each other. Perhaps there is some connection with the Red Sea, just as God delivered the people and destroyed his enemies by way of the Red Sea. So does God destroy Jabin and Sisera by way of the brook Wadi by way of the waters of Megiddo. And they took no spoils of silver. These enemies thought that they were going to win. But God brings a cosmic end to their supposed uh, endeavor. And so they fight. They fought from the heavens. They sought their gods. They looked to the stars. But for them, the stars do not align. The stars from their courses 
fought against Sisera. The stars are not in their favor. It's perhaps an ancient or eastern way of saying that the stars did, uh, came out of their orbit. Could refer to God's intervening by engaging the heavenly hosts. And so they thought things were good for them, but God shows that he is the one who is over the stars. He is the one who made the heavens. He is the one who made the stars. We don't worship them. And as they worship them, and as they uh, trust in their gods to control them, we see that God turns that on its head against them. So there's cosmic uh, obstacles. There's natural obstacles. But it is Yahweh. Verse 21. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The, that ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. We see that this is why Sisera has to dismount. We see that the water is overflowing, so much so that their chariots, their myriad of chariots, their uh, technological advancement or technological advantage in the battle is no more because of that torrent. And so the people of God can march on. We have no weapons, but Yahweh fights with us. O my soul, march on in strength. And then verse 22, following similar, uh, following that problem of the torrent, the muddy uh, 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 waters, the horses' hooves pounded. They pound. They're like trying to pluck through the waters. They're galloping, but they cannot make it through. The galloping and galloping of his steeds, they cannot make it through. There's stars, there's river, and there's mud. And Yahweh is the one who disarms the enemies of God by way of these natural causes. And so the enemies must be silent. The enemies will not sing. But also what's interesting is one particular city of Israel is also not going to sing. It's almost better to be an enemy than part of the people of God and turn away from God. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly. Because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Notice it's a pronouncement by Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, speaking. Deborah is speaking, but it's the angel of the Lord who's doing it. And once again, we see the angel of the Lord is God, just like we see in Judges 2 and in the Samson narrative as well. Curse Meroz. Curse Meroz. And there's little known about Meroz, but it's probably the case that it was one of the closest cities to the battle, and yet no one was there to help. They were expected to help, but they don't. They were expected to fight with the people, yet they do not. They did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. The Lord God is the one who fights. Remember, just as we saw with Joshua, the people had to lay hold of that promise by fighting. By fighting against the Canaanites. Here's your land, go take it. Here's your land, drive out the Canaanites. But the people of God did not do that very thing. So Yahweh fights, Yahweh fights through means. And Meroz disobeyed the Lord. Meroz went against the things of God, and Meroz receives a curse. It's a lesson for Israel. Israel has become like the nations around them. Again, it's almost better to be an enemy of God. Certainly you're going to be killed and destroyed and that sort of thing. But versus curse, there seems to be a further sort of punishment, a harsher punishment for Meroz in light of the book, uh, light of the Deuteronomic, light of the curses that come by way of covenant. And so 
Israel needed to listen. Israel needs to pay attention. Israel must not be like Meraz. And so I think one thing we can take away from this section is to remind ourselves of the people who sing to Yahweh, who sing of Yahweh's goodness. The people who sing to Yahweh are those who have known their need. Israel had great need. Israel had gone through great destitution, and it magnifies the great salvation that Yahweh brought. Israel's greatest need was salvation and obedience. Our greatest need because of our sin is salvation. Our greatest need is Christ Jesus. But unless we know that need by the work of the Spirit, we'll never see the need for Christ Jesus. Again, the quote I quote often from Thomas Watson, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. That's why we pray that God would convict by the Spirit. God would show people their sin. That's why we preach the law, that people might see their sin and see the vileness of it and see their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because those who sing are those who know their plight or know their former plight, what we once were. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are redeemed and have found our deliverance in Christ Jesus. We must recognize that salvation is the greatest thing we need and we are saved to worship God. We don't need to go bury the dead, Matthew chapter 8. We don't need to worry about this, that, or the other, according to Matthew chapter 8. Now, I'm not saying you don't worry about that, but we must count the cost. Salvation is the greatest thing we need and worship is the greatest thing we do. And if we have been saved, that should be our highest, uh, highest privilege, but also our highest uh, priority as well. So that is a people, a song of Yahweh's people. Let's then look thirdly and finally at a song of Yahweh's salvation. And notice we see the savoring of Yahweh's Salvation, as Davis says. We see the surprising servant. It's Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed, most blessed among women. Blessed is she among women in tents. Who else is that spoken of? Mary, the most blessed among women. Salvation comes from Jael, and salvation comes from Mary. The point is salvation comes in the most unexpected ways. And when it comes in the most unexpected ways, it shows that we don't save ourselves, but God does. Here is Jael, the wife of Heber, who just happens to be in the north when the Kenites dwell in the south. And providentially, there they are. And providentially, Sisera has to dismount his chariot. And providentially, he comes right to Jael. And what does Jael do? Jael, Jael drives that ten peg right through his head. And she brings salvation for the people of God. The Lord approves of what she does. It doesn't mean we go take a ten peg and drive it through someone's head. But nonetheless, it highlights the salvation that Yahweh brings. Just like he brought salvation by way of a virgin. It was Yahweh who did it. It was Yahweh who brought salvation unexpectedly. Blessed is she uh, that it would be through her this unexpected salvation comes. And all a Kenite as well. Most blessed is she among women. And then notice we see how Deborah slows down. 
to talk about this salvation. She savors it. It's important to savor Yahweh's salvation, isn't it? To contemplate it. Sometimes if you're like me, you can inhale things. I inhale food. I've been taught I need to savor my food. But I can eat food within two minutes and it's gone. I can eat my meal, boom, it's gone. But I need to learn how to savor my food. Sometimes we inhale the Bible, right? As we're reading it, we inhale it. And then we kind of don't stop to think and ponder what has gone on. Just like as we read through Judges and the Lord delivered up. You know, we just kind of pass over that very quickly. But we need to be reminded that we ought to savor that salvation. And we see that here. He asked for water. She gave milk. She slows down. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg. Her right hand to the workman's hammer. I mean, she's just just talking about here it is and there it is and she pounded Sisera she pierced his head she split and struck through his temple at her feet he sank he fell he lay still at her feet he sank he fell and where he sank there he fell dead savoring Yahweh's salvation David says Yahweh's deliverance is meant to be enjoyed savored and cherished someone may think that that is being vicious it is not it is being pious Perhaps many of us in the West have never been so oppressed or crushed by tyranny on a significant scale. That's why we frequently fail to appreciate texts like this. We can't really understand them from our study chairs, from our padded pews, or from our recliners beside cozy fireplaces. They were under oppression for 20 years, and God delivered them. That is what we need to see. And it is Yahweh who brought that salvation, and he does so by way of of Barak, but also by way of Jael and her tent peg that she drives through Sisera's head. And so God's people ought to praise the Lord God for what he has done. And we see our reason for singing in verses 28 through 31. We see the reason for singing is when enemies weep. Imagine this being a modern top 40 Christian song today all about a mother's weeping. Poor mommy is what we should call that song. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why does he ta- why tarries the clatter of where where is Sisera? Why hasn't he come home yet? And then the ladies muse. The ladies say, and she uh, she has to talk herself off that ledge, but she doesn't realize is that ledge that she uh, that she's that what she's saying to herself is wrong. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? Oh, they're just taking their time. They won the battle. Maybe they'll engage in rape with a girl or two. Things are fine. We see that to every man a girl or two. Oh, I'm sure Sisera is probably grabbing some, some clothes for you that you can use. A new wardrobe, perhaps. Plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two-piece of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. You see how the people of Israel sang in the Old Testament? I mean, this is difficult for our modern delicate sensitivities, but it talks about the salvation Yahweh brings. And as Yahweh brings salvation, he brings a crushing blow to his enemies. He dashes the, uh, the, the, to pieces the children of his enemies. And we see that here. The child of, mother, of Sisera's mother, Sisera himself, was dashed to pieces. At least his brain was dashed to pieces by that tent peg that was driven through his head. What she thinks versus what is the reality for the enemies of God. 
And then we see in verse 31 when Yahweh's people love. This is the main thrust, isn't it? Let all your enemies perish, O Lord. The Lord bring that your kingdom come. It's another way of saying that, as David says. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. God brings an end to his enemies. Israel, don't be his enemy. Israel, love the Lord. Israel, look to the Lord. Israel, follow after the Lord. The Lord, love those who love him. They'll be like the sun who shines forth, who spreads his glory. And when it comes out in full strength. Because the reality is, Israel is acting more like the enemy. And they need to be reminded of Yahweh's salvation. They need to be reminded that they are the people of God. They need to be called to love Yahweh and not Baal. Let those who love him be like him, like the sun, when it comes out in full strength. And then the land rests for 40 years. Now, as we close, all of this teaches us about the reasons we sing. And the main reason we sing is the salvation Yahweh brings. In the defeat of our enemies, but in the forgiveness that we have as well. I do think there is... An allusion from Revelation 16, 16, back to Megiddo, the waters of Megiddo. You know what Armageddon means? Har-Mageddon, or Har-Megiddo, or the mountain of Megiddo. That's why I said May-Megiddo. Hopefully you are catching that. May-Megiddo, May-Mageddon, versus Armageddon. And there perhaps is an allusion back to what we see in Judges 5, but also other places where God delivers his people uh, at Megiddo. I don't have them offhand. I remember reading them, but I forgot them all. But certainly Judges 5 is in view. And the book of Revelation, this is the bulls. So I do believe the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls are referring to the same time frame. And the bulls just describe the cup being filled up. The wrath of God has filled up and it's being poured out. And as his wrath is poured out, that final judgment day, what do the nations do? They gather together for battle at Armageddon. They gather together for a fight against Yahweh. And what does Judges 5 teach us? It's going to be over quickly. It's going to be crushed quickly. The nations shall be destroyed quickly. Those who gather do and shall fall, for it is the Lord God Almighty who brings that defeat. The God who crushes his enemies in Israel's history, the God who crushes Satan's head, the Christ who crushes Satan's head, is a reminder that when we deal with tyrants now, God will crush them too. God will bring an end to them. What we see in Revelation, what we see in Judges 5 and the purpose of the illusion of it in Revelation 16 is to remind us that what Yahweh did to Jabin and to Sisera is a foretaste of God's final death nail to the enemies of God on that final judgment day. God brings that salvation. God destroys his enemies. And as he destroys his enemies, shouldn't we sing songs? Should we sing the song of Deborah? Should we sing the songs that are about judging and making people fatherless like I've done on Father's Day many times to a funky tune, a happy tune, let's make them fatherless. Uh, We should sing those more. 
Because most of the time that we don't want to sing those songs, but it reminds us of the God who brings defeat to his enemies. He gives us the salvation that we need from our sins, but also from our enemies as well. And since Yahweh has redeemed us and Yahweh has saved our souls, shouldn't we sing? Mary sang, didn't she? Deborah sings, doesn't she? Certainly Hannah sang and many others as well. David sang about Yahweh and all his goodness. The reason we sing is because we have reasons to sing and a reason to worship. And if we don't sing, if we don't worship, have we really considered the salvation of Yahweh? Let us be a people that sings in response. Let us be a people that sings that new song of salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful for the salvation that you've brought, that you've brought in Christ our Lord, in Christ our King. Thank that he is uh, the Messiah. He is that warrior, that rider in white who comes and makes judgment. Thank that he has crushed the head of the serpent. And right now he is making his enemies his footstool. Thank you that we can sing, that we can sing about the end of, of your enemies, the end of our enemies. We can sing about the so great salvation that you have brought. And we pray that we would be a people that appreciates, the people that recognizes, the people that praises you for all that you've done for us. So often we've had a low view of you. So often we have had a low view of your salvation. So often we've had a high view of ourselves. And we are thankful yet nonetheless that you have saved us, that you've given us new life, you've shown us our need, you've given us You've forgiven us in Christ Jesus, given us all the benefits that we have in Christ. And we are thankful for that blessedness that we have received. So help us to bless your name. Help us to praise your name. Help us to honor you. Help us to be a people that loves to gather and that help us to recognize that you're the one who comes and gathers with us each and every Lord's Day. Thank you that you gather with us in our, with us by your spirit each and every day. And we ask and pray that you help us and encourage us as we walk this world. So we pray that Christ would come again, Christ would come soon, and Christ would make his enemies his footstool.